0: Today on the Broly Talks Hockey Podcast, I'm joined by the Athletics' Minnesota Wild writer, Michael Russo. We discuss how he got his start in journalism, the Minnesota Wild season, the playoffs, and the Seattle expansion draft from the Minnesota Wild's perspective, plus the Minnesota Wild off-season preview, all of this and much more in this week's Broly Talks Hockey Podcast. Hello guys. Welcome back to the Broly Talks Hockey Podcast. Today I'm joined by Michael Russo. He's the Minnesota Wild Rider for The Athletic and he's on KFan Radio. He's also on the Worst Seats in the House podcast and Straight from the Source. How are you doing today Michael?
1: I'm doing well. It's kind of the first day of the offseason really. Uh, we had our, our uh, season ending wrap-ups with a bunch of wild players today. Um, got Billy Guerin and uh, Dean Evison on Thursday and then... Uh, and then it's pretty much uh, offseason. It's going to be a short one this year, obviously, so they've got to kind of put the pedal to the metal. I, I expect them to start touching base with some of their uh, guys that they've got to re-sign starting next week, and uh, I think it'll be an interesting uh, off season for the Wild.
0: So you say it's a bit easier to be a, a journalist for the Wild now that it's offseason, or do you find it just as much of a struggle as during the playoffs?
1: Well, I mean, it's, it, I don't know oh, if struggle is the right word, but I definitely think that it'll be a busy, busy off season. Uh, you know, I, I just, uh, I don't think there will be too many times that I'm going to be sitting by the pool with my phone away. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, they've got a lot of work to do. I mean, just like all 31 teams dealing with expansion, actually 30 teams because uh, Vegas doesn't have to deal with expansion, but, but uh, you know, th- like, like the 30 teams, they've got to deal with that, but they're going to try to make some trades. They've got to resent Eriksson, and Fiala. They've got to talk to, they're UFAs as well, like guys like Cole and Benino, and then they've got to decide uh, if they're going to get in on stuff like, you know, Jack Eichel or or, uh, or whoever. I mean, they're, 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 I expect a lot of news this offseason uh, as the Wild continue to try to build themselves a new contender here.
0: And would you say this is kind of like a transitional offseason where whatever they do this offseason is kind of going to, show what's going forward for the next couple of seasons? Yeah,
1: I absolutely agree with you, Brody. I mean, like, uh, like I think that we looked at this season as sort of like the year in transition where they added a bunch of, you know, guys in the last year, their deal and things like that. And now all of a sudden, I think that the moves that they make this summer are going to be potential long-term ones. I mean, they're going to have to uh, sign Eric Snack long-term, Kaprizov, Erickson, uh, Kaprizov long-term, potentially Fiala. Uh, Long term, uh, they might have to make a trade uh, and get in on some of these potential number one centers out there. So um, I do think that uh, what we see this summer could really shape what we're going to see for many, many years here in Minnesota.
0: And that's, we'll get into the wild a lot more later, but I kind of want to get into you specifically, uh, like your upbringing. Like, did, did you play hockey growing up, uh, Minnesotan?
1: Uh, no, I actually grew up in Florida. So I, I was born in New York, grew, to, grew up in Florida, moved there when I was you know, 11 or 12 years old. And uh, obviously not a lot of hockey down there. When I was in New York, I played street hockey and things like that. Um, But I uh, immediately really became a sports writer at age 15. And we had before the Florida Panthers even existed, we had a minor league hockey team down there called the sunshine hockey league. Uh, It was in West Palm beach. I covered them when I was a teenager and really learned the game from a guy named Bill Nairup, who has since uh, sadly passed away, but coincidentally he was from a Minnesota Uh, played for the north stars played for the canadians um his dad actually was ceo of northwest airlines and uh so he became the commissioner of the sunshine hockey league the coach the gm and the owner of that specific franchise in west palm beach and uh, really taught me a lot about the game. I fell in love with the sport. And then the Panthers came down to South Florida. And uh, luckily, uh, I, I, I uh, you know, were, were into them. We didn't have a lot of people on our staff at the newspaper was at that was, that knew a lot about hockey. And I just started uh, sort of covering them from the beginning, uh, you know, that really starting in year three um so that's sort of how I fell in love with the sport but basically my upbringing with the sport is everything I've learned from being around it covering these great athletes these great coaches scouts talking to people um not so much uh, myself on the ice that's for sure
0: and did you have a favorite hockey team growing up or, or like in yep. your teen years
1: Yeah, I grew up an Islander fan when I was really young, but now, uh, you know, I was actually, as I mentioned, you know, I became a sports writer when I was probably about your age. So when you become a sports writer, you realize really quickly that you're supposed to be unbiased, objective, and you lose your allegiances. So, you know, moving to South Florida one when I was a kid, but then then all of a sudden becoming a sports writer at a young age, you you sort of learn not to root for anybody. And so I wouldn't say I'm a fan of really any sports team out there, not even in hockey. Um, You know, I just have have done this job for so long that, um, but, but when I was a kid, I was an Isle diehard. Like I, um, you know, during the off seasons, a lot of these uh, guys lived in a community right by where I used to go to summer camp and school. And I used to sneak out and watch them come home from practice and things like that. And what was really neat about covering the, the Florida Panthers is that the president of the team was Bill Torrey, who's GM of the, the uh, Islanders at the time. And Danny and the hall of Famer was their Colorado list in Florida. Billy Smith was their goalie coach, Dwayne Sutter, who was really my favorite player growing up. He was an assistant coach then eventually became the head coach. And so I really, uh, you know, it was a dream come true. I'm a young teenager moving from New York down to South Florida. And now I'm covering a Florida Panthers team that was made up of all my idols. So, um, you know, it was just really, really, you know, inspiring to just show up every day and get to talk to guys like Bill Torrey and Dwayne Sutter and Danny Popman and Billy Smith.
0: And you just touched on how you kind of got into sports element at the age of 15, you started your first gig was covering the sunshine hockey league. Uh, where'd you go from there to get to where you are now at the athletic? Um-
1: It was just a lot of hard work. I mean, I stayed at the Sunset. I started there when I was 15 years old and left when I was, uh, you know, uh, early 30s, 31. And then I went to the Star Tribune and was there for 10 years. And Now I've been at The Athletic. This could be my, uh, wow. Uh, four-year anniversary coming up in September, um, so I've been here now for a while, and I've, I've been lucky enough that I've really only had a couple jobs in my entire life, uh, you know, all in e- either the Sunset, the Star Tribune, the Athletic, or uh, Toys R Us when I was, you know, 15 <laughs> years old. That's really the only real job I've ever had in my life, um, so I got really lucky uh, that way, but, um, you know, from covering the Sunshine Hockey League, I did that at a time where I was covering a lot of high school sports, um, a lot of college college sports, you know, obviously we had uh, FSU, UF, FAU and University of Miami down in, in Florida. So I covered all that. Um, I covered the Marlins, I covered the Dolphins, I covered the Heat and obviously the Panthers. So um, I got really lucky being in a great, rabid sports market with great, um, you know, three major newspapers that that competed against each other. Um, lots of sports radio stations, lots of local TV markets, uh, not just yet, yeah, you know, in a lot of markets like here in Minnesota, you have your affiliates for Fox, CBS, ABC, and, and NBC. But in South Florida, you actually have double that because Palm Beach County has its own stations and then Broward and Dade share stations. So, um, you know, I beca- it, it was a really crazy media market where it was a lot of, um, you know, just great journalists down there to learn from. And so I really grew up in the newspaper world and in the, in the multimedia world and got into sports radio down there and, and doing TV and got comfortable with that. I used to, you know, uh, Channel 5, which was the NBA. NBC affiliate in West Palm Beach. I used to go on there every Sunday night and be on their sports show, whether talking high school football or, or, um, or the Florida Panthers or whatever. And it just, it sort of taught me the business from the inside out.
0: And was the athletic your first time covering the Minnesota wild or had you covered them before?
1: No, I covered the star or the, the wild for the star tribune for, um, man, 10 years. So this is my no, longer than that. Twelve years, actually, at the start at the Star Tribune. So, uh, this this was my sixteenth year covering the 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 Wild here. So, uh, you know, I've been a you know I've covered this sport for a long, long time now. I in mean, ten years in Florida, and now sixteen here in Minnesota, which is just crazy when I think about it.
0: <laughs> and who kind of approached you to join the Athletic, or did you was there an opening, or and you just reached out or what how did that No, kind of come I out?
1: actually um, you know they they reached out to me in the summer of 2017 uh, the two two co-founders Adam Hansman and Alex Mather Alex first reached out in probably August first exactly I bet it was Uh, in 2017 and I talked to them for a month it was really exciting you know I love the newspaper world I've been in it for a long time but you know I will say it was getting monotonous uh, the constant uh, you know space constraints and deadline constraints and you know the the ability at the athletic to write long form and kind of uh, you know really um, determine how I cover the beat was really appealing to me Uh, not that the Star Tribune at all treated me poorly I, I was a heartbreaking decision to leave there but it was a month good three and a half weeks of, uh, going out to San Francisco meeting with Adam and Alex, um, and, and really, uh, being sold on what the athletic was. And now I look back at it now, four years ago, and man, I'm, I'm just so glad that I made the decision and I absolutely love where I work. I love who I work for. I love what they've built. Um, I'm so proud of being, being part of this team of 300 and something writers and 500 employees. And, um, an all sports website that I just think is second to none in the world. And so uh, it's been an incredible, incredible uh, endeavor.
0: Yeah. I would agree with that. The best. In the, I actually just, uh, before this, I was trying to in preparation, I was trying to, uh, read your articles cause I follow a couple of Minnesota pages on Instagram. Right. And I'm like, Oh, I haven't subscribed to the athletic. So like <laughs> four o'clock today, I quickly subscribed to the athletic and some, some great pieces there that I read. And uh, we're going to probably talk about your latest article. Which yep. Was well,
1: well. I mean, you just being a sport, a hockey fan. You know, just looking at your background and seeing all the jerseys that you have behind you, and your hats, and the you know, <laughs> and all the pictures you got up. I mean, you will absolutely love this site, bro. I mean, it, it is a hockey fan's uh, dream. You know, you can follow any sport you want, any team that you want. If you're not interested in the Arizona Coyotes, you just don't follow them and they won't even be on your feed. Um, mm-hmm. You know, same thing with the Utah Jazz, but you might be a huge Chicago Bull fan. I mean, that's a really cool thing about the athletic is that you you kind of create what you want to read on a daily basis. And um, you've got a lot of catching up to do. There have been some incredible stories, especially up in your neck of the woods there, uh, you know, around the Jets and Marat and the job that he does up there uh, covering the Jets.
0: I'll probably be reading all night, trying to catch up on some great stories. Cause I, I like <laughs> looking through Twitter. I follow all the athletic beat reporters and then I put them on Twitter notifications just so mm-hmm. I can get any news that I want. And I see some great pieces of, and I, I click on it. I'm like, Oh, maybe I can read this. Oh no. And it's just disappointment. <laughs> like I got to yeah, yeah. subscribe. So glad no, I did. I'm
1: glad you did. Uh, you know, hopefully you got a good deal because we do have uh, good deals all the time.
0: Yeah. I did. I, I accidentally subscribed to the monthly first and then let me switch. So I was pretty happy that that's cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, did you, uh, you know, not to get into the, what, what package you got, but also being a student, you know, if you, uh, if you, you get a student discount, so if you didn't get that, I would highly recommend emailing them. All right. And I kind of want
0: to get into, uh, overworking. I know it could be a hot topic now. I know, uh, mental health is a big, a big thing. Do you ever struggle with overworking your, you have two <laughs> podcasts that you're on a radio show and, the biggest wild writer on this green earth so do you ever struggle with time management or overworking or anything of that sort
1: yeah i mean man that's a great question um this was definitely the toughest year of all of our lives definitely my life uh you know it was not fun covering this the season at all um you know i definitely think i hit covid fatigue uh there's no doubt about it um it was a it was a big struggle writing this year and um you know, uh, I'm looking to hopefully take a little bit of a step back this off season, sort of uh, decompress, uh, take a breath, of fresh air. It's just really hard to do that in a busy off season like this, where you can never, nev- you can never disconnect, never be away from your phone. Um, you know, it, it 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 can be tough. I mean, you know, uh, I know that some people probably listening to this are you know rolling their eyes, oh, what a tough life to cover hockey for a living. But it 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 becomes sometimes extremely exhausting and. And this year um, with some of the stories that I wrote, some really deep stories lately, uh, you know, with, um, you know, uh, some really, you know, if you look back on your feed there, Brody, you'll see some of the stories that I've written in the last month. The reporting of those stories were extremely difficult as well. And so, um, and then you're doing that while covering a, a you know, a team, a season. Um, so it was very, very tough. And so, um, you know, I try to, disconnect i try not to do a lot of things super you know at night like i I, you know if people usually ask me to do a podcast or radio show or tv show at night i usually say no because that's kind of the only time that i can sort of just turn on tv and watch hockey and not think about uh, about about the wild um so um but in terms of, uh, you know, the podcast and the radio and the TV, that, that is like to me the fun part of the job. You know, the writing is still the laborious, the, the, the difficult part of the job for me. You know, writing doesn't come easy. I, I'm meticulous over every single word. Um, I'm probably not as slow as a lot of other, not as fast as a lot of other sports writers that can just crank out stuff. I, I um, really spend a lot of time on my stories. Where, where I really just enjoy or just my podcast and shooting the breeze with people and doing radio and TV. Um, that's when I was a young kid. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a you know, play-by-play guy. I didn't want to be a sports writer my entire life. And, and yet I, I wound up having a career in this.
0: And how did you get started with podcasting with uh, TalkNorth.com?
1: Yeah, Jim Suhan, uh, the columnist for the Star Tribune. He's the one that started the network. Uh, he and I started doing a podcast on the side. It might have been one of his first podcasts that he did there. And then he started his own network uh, there. And now they've got we've got, I mean, uh, more than a dozen of them. He sold a piece of the business uh, to two uh, great businessmen here in the local area that are involved in media as well. And they have uh, done a great job selling the podcast. We have an awesome uh, sales team as well. Um, a woman named Karen Kelly. Just as she's sort of a one-person shop uh, and selling our podcast, and um, and now I do mine with. Uh, so I did. Uh, it was called. Um, it was called the Rusan, Russo-Suhan Show for a while, and then I feel like we had something else, maybe. Um, but uh, and then um, now I do my podcast with uh, Anthony Lapanta on the network, who's the play-by-play guy for the Wild. He's one of my best friends, um, and that one is. Uh, it's more him and I shooting the, shooting the breeze about the Wild um, and, and hockey in general. Um, another podcast that I love to do, as you mentioned is straight from the source. That's the athletic podcast. It's still free. You don't have to be a subscriber. You mm-hmm. can listen to it on Apple or Spotify or whatever. Um, but I enjoy that one because it's usually, it's me interviewing somebody else. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, it's usually somebody with the wild or somebody in hockey or something like that. And I just enjoy that. But, you know, my, I think my biggest strength sometimes as a sports writer is, uh, or, is my interviewing and being able to have conversations with people and and uh, really get some really quality stuff that, that leads to good articles. And, and, you know, I think that that podcast probably gives the average reader of mine that has read me for many, many years a good glimpse of how I normally would do interviews to get some of the stuff that I'm able to write in some of these articles. Because a lot of it is just shooting the breeze and then inevitably something cool comes up that you could write about.
0: And you talked a little bit about being able to run the beat kind of how you want with the athletic. Do you find it easier to do something like this as opposed to somebody who works for the team as a writer or like a play by play guy do you find it easier to be in control of what what you say and not have to worry about anything really.
1: Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I got to tell you, you are asking unbelievable questions. Um, you, you you are good at this. Uh, I should have you start scripting out some of my questions for some of my podcasts and my interviews. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, I definitely, I mean, you know, um, I've had opportunities to go to, as I like to joke, the dark side, you know, go work for the team or something like that. And, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, when you're, when you're working for wild.com, you're essentially selling the product, right? Which is the wild. So you don't have nearly, you can't, you know, take liberties the way that I can at the athletic where I could be more opinionated, analytical, things like that. And, um, and I, I absolutely love that. Now, I don't, I don't frown about around people that work for the team and things like that. Uh, you know, I mean, a couple times in my career, I had, had, a, had really good, cool opportunities to go work for, work for teams, both in the front office or in, um, you know, for a team website and things like that. But I, I love being sort of um, you know not controlled by the team being able to write whatever I can sometimes it creates a lot of stress in my life trust me I mean if, if the average fan knew the amount of drama or soap operas or, or you know two things fires that I have to put out on a daily basis it's 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 um, it's sometimes it's unbelievable um, and it creates sometimes an immense amount of stress at times uh, you know uh, but but you know, but I I would much rather this uh, this mm-hmm. side of it, where it just feels like, um, you know, I'm not I'm not um, I hate to use the word chill, but uh, you know, I'm not shilling for the organization in a lot of ways. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm able to be critique them. Um, Look I, from a Minnesota Wild standpoint, I would love nothing more to, than to see them win a Stanley Cup because I want to cover it. I want to document it for these rabid fans, these loyal fans down here that have craved something like that. But you go to the arena every day knowing that when they win that cup, I'm not getting a ring. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to be on the ice celebrating with them. Uh, all that type of stuff. Uh, there's that separation between team and and sports writer that I absolutely uh, love. I'm old school that way, and and. Uh, You know, sometimes maybe the boundaries are blurred a little more just because you are around these guys, you get to know them as human beings, Um, you know, with social media, sometimes you, you know, you're tweeting from a Minnesota wild perspective, so it creates this almost homerism persona out there especially with the uh, visiting fans you know i'm sure if you ask winnipeg jets fans they will be like oh russo's the biggest homer out there if you ask Avalanche fans i guarantee you they'll say that um but you know it really in a lot of ways if you read me on an everyday basis from a wild fan perspective you probably know that that is for, couldn't be further from the truth
0: and you just mentioned there like kind of you work with these guys or you're around the team a lot uh, we saw examples of that this season like uh stories like hit pieces do you ever like you want to make sure you're not trying to dish a player because you know, you're going to see him at the rink within the next three weeks.
1: Yeah, but it's not even that. I mean, I don't like to get personal with these guys. I mean, they're, they're human beings, uh, but you're right. I mean, I, I, if I'm asking them to be accountable, I've got to be accountable and show up every day in a normal year in a non COVID year, you're going to walk in that locker room every day and see them. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not a hit journalist. I don't think. Now I do critique honestly, if you are a player and you turn the puck over for the losing goal, I'm going to write it. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm probably yeah. going to rip you for it. But at tomorrow night, if you scored the game winning overtime goal, I'm going to write that too and rave about you. I mm-hmm. mean, that's the job and some players get it, some players don't. Um, you know, uh, I think where I get sometimes in trouble is on Twitter, you know, on Twitter is sometimes you say stuff that you would never ever dream of putting in the athletic or in newspaper. And uh, that's usually the stuff that does get back to the players and can create some angst between the player, and myself, and the relationship that we have. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's very different down here. Like you know, in in Minnesota, I feel like the media is a lot. It, we're not exactly hit journalists down here. We're, you know, if if obviously if you're in Toronto today, probably not going to be glowing praise of no. the Maple Leafs, right? It's going to be nastiness. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you have that in markets like New York, Chicago, Philly. Minnesota is probably a little bit on the uh, softer side even in Florida I mean man it it was hard aggressive media down there Um, Mm -hmm. but here in Minnesota it's uh, far from that.
0: And you talked a little bit about like you'll be honest uh, the analytical side so my question for you is are you big into hockey analytics or what's your general opinion on hockey analytics?
1: Yeah I I would say I'm not big I'm sort of even though I don't consider my super old, I, I do feel like I'm sort of like the a dinosaur that I used to hate growing up as a sports writer <laughs> I've become that person. Um, you know, I've gotten lazy with analytics almost because we have such brilliant people at The Athletic, people like Shana Goldman and Dom LeCision and, um, you know, a lot of people at The Athletic, that, uh, James Myrtle that like, I almost can lean on if I need them to explain something, interpret something, give me information. And in a lot of ways it's made me um, you know, almost lazy with it where- you know, I still use a lot of analytics in my pieces, but there are a lot of times dug up by a lot of these colleagues of mine that helped me out. Even today, you know, I was asking questions on Spurgeon because I just wanted to make sure I was understanding what I was reading. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm more of a the eye test guy, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I do think that there's a lot of value in analytics and understanding, uh, you know, affirming some of the eye tests, but also understanding if, you know, like a guy is killing a lion or killing um, possession or... or um, you know, uh, uh, there's just a lot of value that I, I have found with it lately, where at the very beginning, like anything that you don't know, you're, you kind of roll your eyes at it or, or, you know, pretend like, it's not a, not a, that it's a bunch of, you know, crap. Um, but that's mostly because you're naive and unintelligent with it. Where now I feel like that now that I understand it more, I see a lot of the value in it. And I think it helps a lot of the way that I, I write that I understand the sport. And I think the teams understand the, the, their own players
0: mm-hmm. and like affirming the eye test. I know I, before I looked at Minnesota wild analytics, I wanted to watch a game first and I really liked, uh, I'm not sure if this is the right nickname for him, but the grief squad, like the, that yeah. first line, that's like one of the best nicknames in hockey. Like they're one of my favorite lines to watch because they're so versatile. Like they can score,
1: yeah.
0: they play good defense. And then I looked at the analytics and they're just, I'm not sure if they're the best analytical line, but I'm pretty sure they're up there in one of the best analytical lines out there.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, you have uh, guys like Eric Seneck that, that, that drives line Marcus Foligno uh, people like that. I mean, they are, they've always been analytical darlings. I mean, Eric next, just a phenomenal player and and Marcus Felino, it took him a couple of years to really find his footing here in Minnesota, but he's become just an outstanding player. I, I I'll be interested to see if the growth part of that line returns next season. Mm. Um, you know, uh, Greenway is one of those guys, uh, you know, I don't think he had a great he had a great he had an OK postseason. He had an awful game seven. Mm-hmm. Um, he still is one of those guys that always seems to want you leaving more. And I could see him being maybe trade bait this summer. Uh, but we'll see if, if they traded Greenway, it would probably uh, create a little bit of, um, you know, uh, more flexibility when it comes to expansion decisions and things like that. So uh, we'll f- we'll find out this offseason.
0: And speaking about the offseason, I kind of want to get into Minnesota the Minnesota Wild a little bit more and then the offseason. Uh, the Minnesota Wild do have a couple holes to fill, uh, like they may need a second-line center or a third-line center. Do you see the Wild trying to bring in a second-line center or third-line center or even a first-line center?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that they're going to try. It's not easy. Um, I do think that they're going to at least investigate what Jack Eichel is going to cost. I think the problem with Jack Eichel is that, one, he's got a neck injury that you better make sure that better make damn sure that he's completely mm-hmm. healthy um, because you're going to have to give up a ton of assets for him and you're going to have to pay him 10 million bucks a year. So um, you better got to make sure he's healthy. If you're going to go after somebody like that. Um, but the thing with him is um, for the wild who only have 22 million in cap space and have to resign Capri and Erickson Eck, they're going to have to trade money in that contract in that, in that trade. So, To me, the only thing that makes sense would be trading either a Dumba and a Fiala or a Dumba or a Greenway, um, you know, or or maybe a Fiala and a Greenway. I I don't know. I don't know if that would even interest Buffalo. Um, Usually when you trade a top, top center like a Jack Eichel, you're going to want to either some sort of first or second line center in return or a top prospect. Well, the Wilder not trading Erickson Eck. And really, I don't think that they'd have any other centers that would move the needle for Buffalo. So that leads mm-hmm. you to the prospects. Well, Marco Rossi went one pick after Buffalo took Jack Quinn. So, you know, I don't know if they even like Marco Rossi. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Marco is somebody they essentially passed over. That's the only reason why he fell to Minnesota. And so even if they did like him but just valued Quinn better, now you have Rossi coming off, um, you know, his, his uh, heart issue that he had from having COVID-19. And now you gotta wonder if that scares them off. So even if the wild go hard after Eichel, I just don't know if it's gonna. I don't. I just don't know if it's gonna absolutely. Um, if they're gonna have the pieces to make it work. Um, so really, you know, then what's next? I mean, do you go to sign Roger, Ryan Nugent Hopkins? Do you sign a Derek Stepan? Do you pray to goodness maybe Barkov doesn't want to sign an extension in Florida and you go and try to get him? I don't see them going after Kuznetsov, So, but I th- they've got to up- seriously upgrade the center position. They cannot return next season with Victor Rask and Ryan Hartman as, mm-hmm. as their centers. I mean, Ryan's a great player, but to me, he's miscast in the role that he's in there. And Victor Rask, to me, if, if he's got to, you know, I think Kaprizov will have a heart attack if he's got to continue to, you know, not have a top, top center to play next to.
0: I've heard the name uh, Reinhardt th- thrown around yeah. from Minnesota fans. Do you think there's any truth to that coming? Well,
1: I think that they're trying to sign him an extension in Buffalo. The problem is he's going to make a good amount of money. He's a heck of a young player, 25 years old. But you're right. I mean, if you're not going to give up the assets for maybe an Eichel or that doesn't work, maybe you at least investigate Reinhardt. I don't know what the Wild think of him yet.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it does make sense.
0: And do you think there's any chance we see... Kaprizov playing with Fiala I know Fiala's been uh, playing a lot with um, I think Johansson for most of the postseason until he got injured broke his arm but do you think that they might be playing together next year
1: Uh, Kaprizov and Fiala yeah Um, the problem is is that Zuccarello and Kaprizov have such um, great chemistry that unless you're moving Zuccarello to center I don't see that them, Fiala and Kaprizov playing together at even strength, unless it's like late in the third period and Dean Evison's looking for a big goal. Mm-hmm. Um, they play together on the power play. Um, you know, they've had some good chemistry there, um, but I don't see them playing together at even strength. It'd be beautiful to see. Um, mm-hmm. But right now, until that, we don't see that, that chemistry between Zuccarello and Kaprizov. I just don't see uh, them playing together on, a, on an everyday basis. And do
0: you think our awards are coming up soon? Cause the season's almost over. Uh, any chance that Dean Everson or Guerin win the GM of the year or Jack Adams?
1: Um, I think that they will be in the running for the awards, uh, probably finalists. Uh, you know, I think Dean Everson will be a finalist for the Jack Adams with probably Joel Quinville and, and uh, Rob Moore. I think Eric Sinek has a chance to be a finalist for the Selkie. I think Spurgeon has a chance to be a finalist for the Lady Bing. I think, obviously, uh, I think is going to win the Calder. Um, and then I think that that uh, Billy Guerin will be top four in GM of the year. Um, I, I, would, I would put, a, a, you know, guys like uh, Joe Sackick in there, Bill Zito, um, people like that probably uh, in the running as well.
0: All right. And prospects a little bit I want to kind of discuss. I mean, Addison kind of stepped in after Susie went down. And out of the prospects, Boldy, Addison, Kuznodinov, Beckman, O'Rourke, which are likely to become full-time NHLers, and if they're not likely to become soon, within a couple of years, do you see all these guys trying to break into the lineup?
1: Well, I do think that that some of those guys might have to be used as currency in trades at some point. I don't think that they could all step in here, um, especially when you you know, like you talk about guys like O'Rourke, Hunt. I mean, you know, when you sign Brodeur into seven-year deal, Spurgeon to a seven-year deal, there's only just so much room, right? Um, but I think eventually that they're going to have a chance to be there, but um, I think all those guys are great A prospects. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. Rossi is, Boldy definitely is, Kuzan unfortunately had the major shoulder injury this year, but I think he's got a chance, a work hunt. They've had a lot of really good drafts in a row. Um, Hopefully we see Beckman at some point make it, um, you know, obviously he'll play next year in Iowa. I think a lot of these guys, I think Bill Guerin's uh, you know, objective right now is to have a lot of these guys work together, play together, grow together in Iowa, then eventually they can kind of graduate onto the to Minnesota. Um, I'd be shocked if guys like Boldy and Rossi make the team out of camp next year. I think that Billy Garen comes from a New Jersey Devil team where you had to pay your dues in the minors. Everybody mm-hmm. did there in New Jersey, and um, and I think that's what he wants to create here, and uh, not have a a situation like they have, like Jordan Greenway, who's played like two or three. AHL games max, you know, which is mm-hmm. just outrageous. Um, I think that they, they want to, you know, get these guys experience down an aisle. And the NHL draft is tomorrow, actually. And to
0: my knowledge, the wild have two lottery picks. Do you think they'll try and move one or the other?
1: Well, no, they have two, uh, two non lottery picks. Uh, they, oh, yeah, so they sorry. have, yep. Yeah, so they'll be in the twenties yeah. um, because they have Pittsburgh penguins. Uh, so, but I do think that there's a chance that he uses those as currency and tries to move up. Um, You know, depending on who's out there, uh, that's usually the type of trade that would happen at the draft. Um, Or you can maybe throw one of those first into, um, you know, a deal to try to get a center as well. So I definitely think that there's going to be a chance that uh, he's going to try to use uh, the good thing about this draft from a wild perspective is that um, they've got nine um, uh, picks in the first seven or Mm -hmm. in the seven rounds and five in the first three rounds. So that's something that the wild, uh, you know, really hope to take advantage of. And you got a guy
0: like uh, Judd Brackets there. He just came mm-hmm. last year, correct? Yep. And he's been able to pull off some massive steals, like Kuznetsov and O'Rourke. They dropped a lot from what most people expected, and is that's a kind of guy? That's the kind of guy you want on your team, especially since the Wild are like they're they're in a weird position still. Like they're not like true Cup contenders right now, mm-hmm. but they're not rebuilding either. Like they're in that awkward stage.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, that they've been in that awkward stage for 20 years, Brody. <laughs> I mean, they really have. It's it's just so funny to me that uh, they just, they never bad enough to get a Nathan McKinnon and never good enough, right. To win the cup. And mm-hmm. so that's just the way that they've always been this sort of team in the middle. And, um, and it's probably one reason why they've really never had a true game breaker until maybe Capri right. And, mm-hmm. and Gabber. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I do think that they got a real uh, good guy to run the show here and, in, in Judd Brackett, I mean, he's just done an incredible job in Vancouver, um, getting, you know, really three of the last, um, you know, Calder finalists out there and some that have won in Pedersen. And, um, you know, he's done a really good job there. And then their loss is the Wilds' gain. He had a really good first draft last year. So um, I do think that that's something that, that uh, he will, uh, you know, continue to really build this franchise.
0: And this season, there was a huge breakthrough from Nico Sturm. Do you think he gets any bigger of a
1: role on the Wild, or do you think he sticks as that fourth line center? I think he's going to be fourth, third line center. I think that that's the role that they like him in. Uh, you know, he, the thing is that he's not a young kid; he's in his mid twenties. Uh, you know, I know he's a rookie, but but um, I would love to see him bite off more. But they, I think they feel like when he elevated, when he's elevated in the lineup, that he doesn't have the hands to play with um, mm-hmm. some of the more skilled players on the team. Um, You know, that's subject for debate, but I believe that's how the Wild feel about him. But they love him. I mean, they love him in his role. He's a mm -hmm. heck of a penalty killer. Great, great character kid. Had 10 goals this year as a rookie, getting very, you know, lowest amount of uh, forward ice time on the team. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think the world of him. And I kind of want to get into this in Seattle,
0: but if... Let's say Kakinen goes, for example, here. Do you think Hunter Jones will be the backup, or are they going to try and bring in a backup for one to two years?
1: Yeah, no, if they lose a goalie, they're going to have to go get a goalie. Uh, there's nobody in the organization that they could put on the team as a backup next year, in my opinion. So they would have to go get a, a veteran backup, probably. Uh, you know, uh, their, their hope uh, is that they don't lose either of their goaltenders. Um, you know, Cam obviously had an unbelievable season with the Wild this year. Kakanen was having an unbelievable season until he really hit the skids last month of the season. Um, but I still think age-wise that you'd probably protect Gakinen and maybe make some sort of move to try to make sure that they don't take Talbot. Mm -hmm. We'll see what they do in that perspective. And if the Wild do opt to trade Dumba for
0: any reason, I know Garen has said uh, that he doesn't want to lose Dumba. What do you think they trade him for? Are they moving him for a center? Maybe uh, winger, or w- what do you think the move is there?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, they tried to trade him for a center last off season, and they were un- incapable of doing it. Uh, his value was just not high, and uh, you know, now he had a pretty decent year this year. Does that raise his stock? Maybe. Um, the problem is that next year he makes seven point four million dollars in real money. If you trade him before the expansion draft, the team you're trading to has got to figure out a way to protect him. Um, so there's some challenges to trade him, but I do think they'd like to. You know, to me, they can't get in. On an Eichel or somebody like that that's got a huge ticket back, unless they lose a bunch of money uh, because this team's only got 22 million, which seems like a ton, but yeah. they, you know, 22 million in cap space when you have Ek, Fiala, and Kaprizov to resign will go by quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I do think that Dumbo, there, you know, as much as Billy doesn't want to lose him and loves his energy and feels like he's a heck of a um, important piece on this team. I think that there might come a point where they've got to in the next month and at least investigate moving them. And
0: and with Dumba, he's also kind of a big player off the ice. I know he's big with that hockey diversity alliance. Do you think that kind of plays through in the locker room? Like he's a big locker room guy. Or do you think he kinda of is, is smaller to, compared to Spurgeon or Souter?
1: Yeah, no, I mean look, uh, he's uh you know he's a he's well liked in that room. I mean you can see, you know, like guys like brodeen's his best friend, you know, the respect that the Felinos and the Spurgeons have for him. So he is an important piece in that room. I mean, he's got a ton of energy, man. Uh, you know, you see him before the games, before they go on and warm ups and all the antics he does, uh, you know, in the hallway and um, and, you know, the way he is on the ice, he plays with the energy and, um, you know, he's he is an important piece on this team. I know that, you know, some fans love him, some hate him. Um, but, uh, you know, that that comes with the territory for a high risk defenseman sometimes.
0: Mm hmm. I'm surprised people hate him. I, I couldn't see anything not to love about the guy. He's like a great player on the ice, off the ice. I don't, I don't understand sometimes why people hate on certain players. Yeah,
1: I think it's like anything though. Like when you have, I'm sure there's like same thing with you know there. There's some people that just hate hate reading me on everyday. This when you've been <laughs> in one when you've been in one place for as long as these guys have. I mean, the core of the Wild have been around for a long, long team. A long, long time. It's like you start to watch him every day and you, you find all their faults. And there's some people that just can't stand the, you know, the defensive um, stuff. Some people don't like the stuff that he does off the ice, quite frankly. Okay. Um, you know, so, I mean, that's just, you're going to get that type of uh, hockey fan as well. But I think mm-hmm. the most part that, uh, you know, I really liked the year that he had. Um, you know, I thought that, you know, even though he maybe didn't score a ton this year, I thought defensively he was much, much better than he was. I thought he was a great pair with Jonas Burdeen. Um, and he seems to have an incredible heart as off the ice
0: and I kind of want to get into the off season there and the wild do have a lot of work to do you've mentioned they have 22 million in cap and the UFAs include Benino, Bukestad, Johansson, and Cole and the RFAs are Kaprizov, Fiala, Jeek. and I threw De- Dehaime in there too uh, mm-hmm. which are likely UFAs to stay and could we see a p- potential offer sheet on Fiala?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't think so. Um, you know, I offer sheets just we talk about it all the time, right? They never, ever happen. Um, so I'd be shocked um, if something like that did happen. But I will say, you know, I think he's going to play hardball this offseason. You know, the Wild are going to off the world to off and probably not to Fiala. He just uh, Fiala fired um, his agent and hi- hired the guys from Newport. Um, so that is going to be, uh, you know, an interesting thing because he only did that because he expects to get huge money. I think that this off season. Um, so it's going to be just uh, fascinating to watch that. But um, you know, in terms of their other uh, unrestricted free agents, I don't see Johansson back. I think the wild are interested in bringing back Benino and Cole. The problem is, is that they've got to, you know, you're not going to probably resign it before expansion because that would just mean somebody else you either have to protect or expose um, you know, you, you've got to make sure that you have enough money for Eriksson at Kaprizov and Fiala. Um, and you really can't re-sign either of these guys until those guys are dealt with. So that means, you know, just frankly, the closer you get to July 28th, the more likely it is that they're going to sign with another team. So, um, you know, I, I think it's very likely that the Wild maybe only bring back maybe a Bukestad at a million bucks or something um, and then have to wait to the very minute and circle back on guys like Cole and Benino.
0: Let, let's say if Cole doesn't uh, re do you think Addison steps in to play with Susie next season or a whole new third pair?
1: I think it would be really, really quick for a guy like Addison to play, uh, you know, stepping in right now. I think they'd have to go sign somebody, but I think Addison's got a shot. I mean, he's, but he's a young guy. He's only played, you know, two or three, three, three playoff games now and only three regular season games. Uh, but at some point, you got to make the, the show. Uh, but at 21 years old, my gut says that Billy's going to want him to have a uh, start next year in the minors. And with
0: the playoffs, I know they just concluded now, sad game seven. Were you surprised by this postseason result or were you completely expecting what happened?
1: Um, I actually thought the Wild were going to win the series. Um, You know, I'm impressed that Vegas, as banked up as they were, were able to pull it out. Um, I thought the Wild uh, left uh, a lot of plays on the ice, made some major mistakes in games three and four. Uh, their second period in games three and four is where they lost the series. You know, it was one of the best home teams in the NHL. You come home and get, spanked two games in a row at home not the way that I envisioned it happening on their second period they were just so bad in the whole series uh and then they you know they had some overturned goals they had some injuries they had uh you know some you know plays where they didn't finish in game two that could have made the difference in the world um so you know I think I think that they held their own against Vegas and you know frankly I would love to see game seven played over again with a healthy Jonas Bredean. And and I think the wild would have had a really good chance of coming out of that series.
0: And now I kind of want to move to Seattle expansion, because since that's very relevant coming up soon uh, in your most recent article, you stated that Garrett has, Garrett hasn't decided yet whether well, he will protect seven forwards, three defensemen and one goalie or eight score, skaters and one goalie. If you were the wild GM, uh, which route would you opt to go or which and which route do you think Garrett will go?
1: I think seven three one makes the most sense. Um, you know, if for me, I'd either make a deal with uh, Vegas to uh, with Seattle to either uh, not take Dumba or just leave Dumba exposed. And if they take him, well, then you just saved cat six. You just freed up six million in cap space for a guy that obviously wasn't uh, didn't have the ability to be traded the last couple of years, I and mean, they've tried to trade him now. You know, last summer this upcoming summer. And if you get to expansion, you haven't moved him yet. That I think that's a sign that, that, uh, you know, potentially he could be somebody that's very difficult to move. So that's probably the way I would go about it. I don't know if Billy would want to do that way. He wants to protect uh, Dumbo. The problem is he wants to protect a lot of guys. Like you go the eight skater route. Now, all of a sudden, Felino, who he's promised will not be exposed. You're going to have to expose him. Um, so because you're, you, you this is all assuming no guys wave their no move. Well, Brodine, Spurgeon, Suter and Dumbo would be your four, one, four of your eight skaters. Prezi and Zuccarello would have to be two of them because they have no moves, and then that, that leaves Fiala and Erickson Eck that have to be protected. So now all of a sudden you're exposing, you know, Susie, um, um, uh, Nico Sturm, Ryan Hartman, Marcus Foligno, Jordan Greenway. I mean, so you know, to me, I think you maximize your your protection list if you go the seven three one route
0: and another quote in the article actually the next like little sentence but if he garen goes the 731 route dumbo will have to be, have to be exposed for seattle unless defenseman ryan suter waves his no move clause uh do you think it'll be likely that suter would opt to wave his no move clause or anybody else for that yeah category? i mean it's if
1: if, you, if billy's going to ask him i don't know why he wouldn't i mean to me you're help you're only help you got nothing to lose right seattle's most likely not taking you Um, and maybe you could promise him that because you, you know, maybe Billy at that point when he asks them, will know whether or not they're doing, you know, what, what Seattle is probably doing, but I would think it's very unlikely that Parisi or Suter uh, get taken. So to me, it's all you're doing is helping out the franchise and it's only good for your reputation, right? Because if all of a sudden Suter is, is exposed for Vegas to, for Seattle to take, we're all going to know that he did the team a solid and really helped them out. And that's only just going to, you know, really um, help him with his perception on the way the fans think of him. Mm-hmm. So I would think that uh, it makes a lot of sense for them to wave if they're asked. And I don't with, know if they will, but I think it makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. And with Parisi, I kind of, as we talked about before, I kind of got with the wild near the end of the season and I never really watched Parisi and I was kind of uh, super confused as as to why he was scratched. Uh, do you think that if he wouldn't have been scratched and played most of the year that he would have opt to waive it. Or do you think he's like, nah, I just want to stay here.
1: <laughs> well, he might, uh, he might waive it just to get the heck out of here at this point. Right. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, where he might not waive it for expansion is if he's not in no mood to help out an organization that embarrassed him down the stretch. Um, mm-hmm. That could be the problem that I could foresee. Um, but you know, Seattle's not taken as either. So I, if, if Billy came to him and said, would you wave, I would hope that he would say yes. Uh, just for the purposes of expansion, um, just because, again, you, you know, all it's doing is helping the organization out, and it's, you know, it's making you a hero, frankly, uh, to the fan base that says, all right, you know what, we keep this player now because Zach did the team a favor. So um, I think it makes a lot of sense.
0: And speaking with leadership, uh, this year, the – wild name, their captain, Jared Spurgeon. And I was kind of surprised. I was thinking it would be Ryan Suter. Is there, is there reasons off the ice that we saw Suter not become the captain and Spurgeon take it?
1: I think it's more that they're just trying to go with somebody that they feel is a really good citizen in the team. You know, it's grew up in the organization It's probably one of the biggest success stories in the organization where, you know, guys like Suter and Parisi are, or, you know, on the downslope of their careers, um, you know, that was very clear this year with the way that, that Parisi was sort of had his role and his responsibilities to diminish down the stretch. And frankly, the same thing happened to Suter, where Suter wasn't scratched and he didn't get third pair of minutes, but he was still, you know, saw a lot less rope than, than he's ever seen in, in a wild uniform and sort of declawed in a lot of ways. So, um, you know, in hindsight, when you see the way the season transpired, it almost makes it so... Hilarious that we even thought it was a competition. It was always suitor's job. But it was clear now. Mm-hmm.
0: And another interesting decision for protection is Kakinen and Talbot. We kind of talked about this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, who do you think is going to get protected?
1: You know, I mean, all year I thought it would be Kakenin just because he's 24 years old. But the way that Talbot became so invaluable, maybe they would change their mind. I don't know. Um, but uh, you know, if it were me right now, I'd probably go with the young kid. As long as I had some re- some some understanding that Seattle is going to not take Talbot. And maybe you have to throw him a second or third round pick to make that happen. Uh, you know, I think it's something that they should consider. Maybe saw some like Pittsburgh's third that they got. Yeah. I mean, you know, because like, you know, Billy has been loath to trade his draft picks, but that's went for like free agent Reynolds, right. Uh, at the trade deadline. You know, if you're, if you're giving up a third round pick to protect Talbot, that's a good long-term investment in your future. You're, you're saying, all right, we're, take, we're, we're solidifying, we're stabilizing the Wild's goaltending for the next two or three years, potentially by doing that. So I, I think it's an it, apples and oranges thing. Like every time I, I mention that the Wild might give up a pick to protect Talbot, people are like, you know, that, that, that's stupid. Well, he wouldn't do it for a rental. Well, that's for a guy that be on the team for a month and a half, maybe. You know, this mm-hmm. is for somebody that's the better of the two goalies to be here for the next couple of years.
0: And with, with the Wild, what do you think is the biggest potential loss in this ex- expansion draft?
1: It's a good question. I mean, I think if they lost him, but it would be a loss, I and mean, there's no doubt about it. Uh, uh, but I, I think Soucy is the guy that they're going to lose. I think he makes the most sense. Um, and I, But I think he's replaceable. And um, so, you know, I think where we get really hairy is if they went the eighth skater route and lost like a Greenway for nothing or, or Felino for nothing. That would suck.
0: And last question before I let you go, do you think the wild might pull off a couple side deals like they did in Vegas? I know they only did one in Vegas, but do you yeah. think they might do one?
1: To The uh, the wild fans would have a heart attack if they get too, too creative. Uh, you know, every time Alex talk dominates against the wild, uh, it's like gives wild fans anxiety attacks just because the wild essentially gifted Alex talk to the golden Knights. Uh, so um, I think that, you know, what he'd like to do is maybe maybe make some moves with draft picks uh, rather than actual players and prospects to give up. That would be a real shame if they gave up a really another good young player. Like like just a great example is how good would the Wild be right now if Alex Tuck was in a Wild uniform, you know, mm-hmm. be a massive, massive addition to this team. And and so I don't think that Billy wants to be in that position four or five years now where he's watching, uh, you know, whoever Ryan O'Rourke, Adam Beckman, whoever it is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, dominate against the wild. All right. Thank
0: you for your time and a great conversation. Uh, got a lot, very insightful. I'm hoping the people who listen are going to learn a lot about the wild situation.
1: Yeah. Anytime, Brody. All right.
0: I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode of the Broly Talks Hockey Podcast. If you did, please leave a five-star review and share with a friend so that you can help grow the show.